Welcome to Therapist Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters. Welcome back to Therapist Uncensored. This is a podcast where we bridge the relational sciences and all that really cool research and theory and experience that is often embedded in textbooks or in people's heads or in, you know, a few clinicians' offices <laughs> with the world, with people who can use the research and use the science and really uh, use it to improve daily life. So in that vein, Anne and I will be digging down more in emotional regulation because it's really the bottom line. It's kind of what a lot of things boil down to. So you'll hear about that. But before we get started, we want to tell you about two things. There's a live conference that's coming up in a while. It'll be April 7th here in Austin, Texas. If you're around and want to come for it, that would be awesome. We would love to meet you. So it's going to be fun. That's with David Elliott, and he's the co-author of Attachment Disturbances in Adults. And in addition, we have a reading group that's leading up to that conference that is an online event. So that's going to be open to everybody, including people that aren't coming to Austin, Texas. So that's exciting. And if you'll go to eventbrite.com and just search for Therapist Uncensored or just go to our website and you'll be able to find it. So those are two opportunities. And now let's get right to today's podcast. Hey, welcome back. I'm Ann Kelly. And I am Sue Marriott, and we are Therapist Uncensored. And we know that there are lots of folks that listen to us that are really interested in attachment and the science of relationships. That's what we're about. And, you know, we've been doing some other things, you know, peppering things in with interviews with like musicians and talking about kind of real world application of these ideas. But today we're going to get back down to the basics and to the meat and potatoes and talk about emotional regulation and I have found myself needing that a lot more this year. Yeah, man, isn't that the <laughs> truth? It sounds good, or I don't know if it, how it sounds. It probably sounds kind of therapy-ish. Well, for those that maybe haven't listened to our podcast yet, you might be going, what is emotional regulation anyway? What are we talking about? Right. The way that we think of it, I mean, it seems kind of obvious, I guess, on one level, but the way that we think of it is it's really, it's a neurological base. And so we're not going to do a ton of brain science today because we've done that. Instead, we're going to talk more about what are the skills that are going to help you move towards this emotionally regulated place. And here's the good news. If you're good at this, it's basically going to make you happier, healthier, <laughs> more resilient, and your partner and your kids and your bot, whoever, the close people around you, you are going to increase your skills to be able to stay close with them and manage them, frankly. You can get them to do what you want them to do if you have a little skill in this area. So it's a good party trick. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's ability to not just completely control by the first thing that comes into, inside your body and let that rule the roost where you feel like, oh, when am I ever going to not be so reactive and be more kind of aware and in control. But let's, you know, one thing I want to say, it is not emotional suppression because I do not want to listen to something that talks to me about giving me a flat feeling. <laughs> Keep those great vivacious emotions flat. So it's, it's not going to be just about being nice. It isn't about being nice. It isn't about, yeah, absolutely. Or being calm or being always in a state of, um, <laughs> that is not what we're talking about, right? <laughs> So I've heard that referenced as uh, limp dick emotions <laughs> or squishy peeny. <laughs> That's not what we mean. What we are talking about is alive and vital and being able to stay in that state where that you're feeling a lot, but you're really engaged. So for example, if your partner were to come to you and say, we need to talk, 
do 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 <laughs> those those scary three words you could even hear your heart rate go up mm-hmm. or your like, what what is it what what's about you know we'll talk later no we have to talk now you know <laughs> so that's exactly what we're talking about is when you begin to feel a little aroused interpersonally what to do about it part of how you can tell that this might be a good thing to learn more about is if you are somebody who tends to stonewall or if you have a somebody close to you that stonewalls and can you explain what stonewalling is Anne? stonewalling is i am going to punish you by refusing to address what it is you're asking me to talk about you might not think about it as consciously punishing but what ends up happening is you're upset at somebody and instead of actually addressing it you just withdraw you just cut them off from conversation Right. And I, I'm pretty sure it's not an act of punishment, but it is, you know, some it people feel it, it feels very yes, punishing. Yes. yes, definitely. And maddening. And that's when you start banging on the turtle shell and all that stuff. But the stonewalling is really a, it's actually about being flooded and that you're so flooded with emotion that you basically cut them off. And so you get the 30,000 mile stare. And, <laughs> you know, Elvis has left the building. Um, and so anyway, stonewalling is just one example. You know, it's with the person who's their arms are crossed in front of them and they're staring straight ahead, that kind of thing. If you ha- if you tend to do that or have somebody that does that, or if you are somebody who uh, gets real anxious, goes to the ceiling or uh, tries to avoid the whole thing, well, that's then, a good, actually, then that's tune a, in to what we're about to say. Well, that's a really good point, too, because when we think of emotional regulation, most people are thinking about having too many intense anger and how to kind of calm that down. And those that end up using stonewalling more might not even recognize themselves. They may see their the individual that's upset, that's gone way up, is the one that needs emotional regulation. And I don't need it because I'm hiding in my office and ignoring right. the, crazy, the crazy one out there who's all <laughs> intense. I'm completely regulated. And so part of the point is just to remember you're not regulated. You're as dysregulated when you're stonewalling as the person out there who's wanting to yell at you. That's exactly right. Or you think's wanting to yell at you, actually. Right, exactly. The crazy person. Frequent listeners of our podcast will recognize some of what we're talking about. We're not going to talk about it in this language right now, but overlay polyvagal theory. We've done another episode on polyvagal theory. And you'll hear kind of the arousal and then the drop and then the middle right? So it's basically, we're talking about the sympathetic system and the parasympathetic system. But today we're not going to use that language, but those of you who are familiar with it will kind of, you'll hear it in our languaging. And instead, what we're going to talk about, we're going to, you please tune into other podcasts to kind of get more in depth on that to kind of, if it really, really sounds interesting to you. Yeah, I wish I remembered the exact number of our episode, but it's polyvagal theory. Look at, look up that one. So instead, Let's be really practical today, you know, because we all know we're out there. Every one of us, we go too far up, too far down. And a lot of listeners ask us, what do we do with that? And that's one reason we want to do today. We've had a lot of listeners that ask what happens when we have two strong emotions? What do we do about it? And so we're just going to kind of be stepwise today. So first off, number one thing, and we're kind of cheated by saying that we have five because we're kind of compressing a few into one, but... (laughs) And this is science-based. This isn't just us feel-good stuff. Truly, number one thing is to identify what's going on. And both inside yourself and inside of others is to be able to be curious and notice and pay attention to and name what it is you're actually feeling. And that's not as easy as one thinks, actually. And so part of the way to do is to recognize the physical stimulation you have in your body. If all of a sudden you feel really intense, where is it? Is it in your stomach? And one way to do is put your hand on where you're feeling 
the intensity and to recognize that you're having some intensity. Is it coming from your stomach, your heart, and recognize what it is? That's right. Therapists are trained, actually, to use this information to more deeply understand what's going on between us and our patients. So it's a really good thing for everybody to do because then you'll be able to, it's basically like a foreign language. And the more that we're able to identify it, it's going to help our management. But also we're going to link, this is, people will really appreciate this, some of you, is that like, that's harder, like you said, Ian, it's harder than it sounds. And so we're going to link a whole bunch of adult emotion feeling charts. (laughs) (laughs) No lie, it's really good. It's more than anger sad, right? Right. So check that out in the show notes for sure. And but let's move on to the second one. So first, we're going to identify what it is. Both we want to do that in ourselves and in other people. And then this is a really important one that often gets skipped is to accept it, you know, belly up to the counter there. And it's like, this is what it is. That's so important because we so frequently don't do that and we jump into action before the acceptance. I think this is almost the most important one. And that is, let's just say the feeling is anxious. And instead of even recognizing that you're anxious, you typically move into action. You withdraw, you run, you you do whatever it is you avoid. And if you can stop and go, I am so anxious and feel it in your body and, and accept Be it. Be okay with it. It's not always easy to accept it because what we generally do is this intensity I shouldn't have. So now I need to move on the world and act to stop this feeling. And the amazing part of just being to go, okay, this is what I'm feeling. It's amazingly calming. That's right. So it's a pause. A visual I have with it is like we see a feeling go by and imagine it's like a little kid and then we put our hands on its cheeks. It's like, it's okay. Like, this is what it is. And it's just like a touch. And then we let go. And then which takes us to our third one, which is that we are going to soothe or deal with or have. Which leads us to our third one, which is where we actually respond. Respond by, okay, now I know I'm angry or I know I'm anxious. And so responding would be going inside, like thinking first about yourself, feeling first in yourself rather than moving into action on the world. Right. And then we call this response not as opposed to reaction. Right. And this is where we, it's kind of, you know, there's a saying uh, that you have a feeling and you, you know, you either deal or reel (laughs) and we want to deal. This is where we're dealing with it. And most of this is still internal. These first three steps are internal. And that is like where we make a conscious, deliberate, mindful decision about how we want to proceed. That's the power you were talking about in the very beginning. Man, that is power with all... When you do not... All capital letters and bubble letters. Think about the people you admire in the world. Oftentimes, it is the key of that that is the most appealing. Because when you feel somebody that can actually slow down and respond rather than react, you can really feel the substance in them. And so the reaction is act on the world. Respond may be, okay, I need to soothe myself. I'm really, really anxious. Or actually for me, it's like I'm really, really irritable. Okay, I'm really irritable. I need to really respond to that first. Exactly. That's right. And, you know, this is where it comes in that like, no matter what you're feeling, even if it's something that's very painful, or, or uncomfortable for you or anything like that, that that's where it's, you know, recognizing that it's temporary, 
mm-hmm. that you can handle it, that, you know, a feeling, if you think about, if you think of it like a wave and, you know, you have the beginning of it. And a lot of times we like run down the way, you know, we run away from it because it's really scary. We think a it's panic. A, yeah. We think it's a tsunami, <laughs> <laughs> but there it's actually to, feelings are just, they're like waves. And if you stay with it and just keep feeling it, it'll rise typically and then on its own, it will crest and fall or it'll transform or it'll change. So recognizing that it's temporary, that you can handle it and that it'll move. Some action steps on that to help you is in the moment, go, wait a minute, I'm so mad, but can I handle being mad? Right. And then stop and go, okay, I can not only handle this, think about it's temporary. In six hours, am I going to be as mad as I am right now? And if you can almost visualize yourself six minutes, six hours, six days, six months ahead, for one minute that's distancing you from the reactivity and helping you respond and go, wait, this is really temporary. And you can might even recognize the that the intensity of the emotion that very second actually is very transient. And That's, that's it, a great technique. Yeah. And another one, um, and this is, some of this is, pulled from the DBT world, and we'll put that link in the show notes too. But um, That is r- dialectical behavioral therapy, which is often used with people that have a lot of a high difficulty regulating their own emotions. That's right. So if we want to even break this down just a little bit further, because this, this is the main one that is the most meaty of them, I think, is kind of what to do about it. Mm-hmm. So here's a little, if you can visualize a little chart. On one hand, we were saying it's so complex and there's so, we want to do the nuance of exactly what we're feeling. But on the other hand, we want to go on the other side too. It's like, nope, let's just be simple. Anger, sadness, anxiety. And with each one, they have a really different neural set and it's going to give you an impulse. Each one will give you an impulse of what to do. And what we want to encourage you to do on this one where we're saying to respond is to begin to think about moving to the opposite action. Yeah, because the opposite, act, your first instinct is often a survival instinct, which is a reaction. Right. So let's say we're angry. If we're angry. Our first instinct is usually attack. It's, it's to go forward. It's to say, ah, you in the world are making me feel this horrible. So I'm going to tell you all about it. And I'm going to attack. And I'm going to attack through screaming, yelling. So what should you do instead? Slamming a door right that can feel really good sometimes yes absolutely so if you think about it that's my first instinct and i know that's a survival instinct to respond and not react i would try to do just the opposite instead of attack i thought okay i need to hold i need to contain contain i love that word and it doesn't have to be forever we're not saying don't talk about your feelings Yeah, we're not putting a sock in your mouth (laughs) absolutely but if your instinct is to attack that's probably just the opposite of what you need to do i feel like going and telling my husband blah 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 i'm telling my mom blah 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 or my wife you know like instead i'm gonna go okay i want to go do that so bad but instead i'm not gonna do that i'm gonna hold myself and i'm gonna you know, that tactic we talked, walked around the block, but I'm not going to act on the first instinct for at least five minutes, I guess. Yeah. And then sad, we tend to want to withdraw. And um, again, it's a whole neural net. Um, this is science-based, right? But we pull in typically. And so as Anne is saying, the first instinct is to do that. Is to withdraw, go within oneself. Right. That's right. So just an idea here, again, all related to emotional regulation would be if you find yourself in that cell melancholy impulse to isolate state that the opposite action would be to reach out would be cry with someone Mm -hmm. let someone in tell someone about your loneliness 
It's the opposite action. And let them help you because sometimes because your instinct so much is to withdraw, you might have to tell a friend, I am so sad. I don't want to see you, but I probably should. Just sit with me. To sit with um, me. Not yeah. to fix me. Just be here with me in it. But the, that way you're not alone. And then the last one we mentioned was anxiety. Right. So often, I guess that varies for people, doesn't it? But anxiety typically brings some element of withdrawal or avoidance. Something's making us anxious and we want to avoid or somebody, we, we need to do something and that adds to procrastination. I'm anxious about not doing something good, so I'm going to procrastinate. Or I'm feeling anxious, so I'm going to really want to hold back and avoid something because it scares me. That's right. So the opposite action in a sense would be, and again, I would say carefully approach. Yeah, that's a good point. So you, you are responding. This is where the response comes. You're responding to your need. You actually need something. So we want to give you that and have you give you a better chance of meeting the need. So if you could identify what it is you're actually needing, that's the opposite action. Right. And oftentimes we want to hide that we're anxious. And so being able to identify, I feel really anxious is already a step in it towards, towards not going into avoidance. Yeah. So another image just to kind of help with some of this um, related to emotional regulation is this notion of staying in the driver's seat that like we are the masters of our of our vehicle. We have a vision and we're driving towards something. And then these little people (laughs) that are inside of us that are the more vulnerable, you know, I, I know I've used this before, but the image of the Russian nesting doll and what we want is the big one to be the one driving. And often what ends up happening is we get dysregulated and some of the little ones are the ones reacting, are the ones, They're the ones controlling the gear. Shifts. Well, see, that's what you got to watch is a lot of times the young scared one might get the wheel and be driving the whole ship. Right. Or driving. Right. I keep changing my metaphors. <laughs> Airplane. There, there, wait, but there's, a wheel, there's a wheel in the ship. <laughs> that's right. So the notion being that, I guess if you could get this visual, some people are more visual, uh, that the big one, the big adult that's holding everything else is the one at the wheel. But because these little ones are expressing distress or getting your attention, that you sit them right next to you and you let them know that you hear them. And and it's they're like little blind spot mirrors. They're telling you something's going on and they're informative, but we don't want them driving. So that's why we don't want to shut them up or ignore them or not notice them that's not going to help us get our needs met. But instead, we set them right up against us, kind of with our arm around them. And this, and you're kind of saying, I got you. I know that is really scary, but we're going to handle this. And then you have you you have your more of your adult, your wise mind is more engaged. So a little bit of that self-talk that can go. It reminds me of the, the podcast with Kristen Neff when she, it's a wonderful episode if you haven't listened to it, but where she's on the plane and she's just completely overwhelmed with emotions and she took one second to put her hand on her stomach and go, this is really hard and I'm really, I don't actually remember her example, but I'm really anxious right now. It's going to be okay. Just that one moment is what you're saying. The adult self handling the little self and just like validating this is really hard. It's amazingly soothing. That's right. It so really compassion is. Compassion yeah. is a really big part of it. And then there's two more quick things that we want to get to. And there's a saying in therapy, um, especially it's often in many, many group therapy contracts, but I think it's a great sort of life policy. And it's basically to put your thoughts and feelings into words, not action. That if we want to adult, actually adult in the world, <laughs> that we want to use the language of words. And, you know, with kids, we have to teach them to put their thoughts 
you know, use their words. Use, use their words. Use, use their words, words. Yeah. Because what we can do is we read people's emotion and then we're responsive. So many of us are, that are sensitive then get over responsive to what's not being said. And so this is kind of an invitation to be a bit Forrest Gump-like <laughs> and just keep things simple and ride up a little higher. And so if you find yourself worrying about what you said last and if, if you know, you need to call that person back and clarify, you know, that rumination, the notion of put your thoughts and feelings into words, not action is probably a better example is when we're upset and we want to, as you were saying earlier, attack, then move it into, okay. I want to tell you how mad I am at you, but really, I just want to hurt you. Right. Right. And I just want, I do want to punish you. That would be the stonewall. But for a stonewaller, we want to help you learn that the stonewalling does feel punishing. And so that's mm-hmm. an action. In group, we talk about that. Say a little bit about that in group. Well, I'll say it about in group, but as it applies to kind of real life. Yeah. So in group, it goes, you know, you show up and you say, I didn't want to come today. You don't just not come. That's a great example because sometimes you have an impulse. I don't want to get up. I don't want to go. It's going to make me anxious. And yet in a group contract. Yeah, you've made an agreement. You've made an agreement. And that agreement helps you move something into into movement. And you're like, I did not want to be here, but I'm here. Yep. So what it can look like then in a relationship was more something like, what are the agreements that you have? What is it? And then you notice because you're doing all the other steps, you notice you have an impulse to not say something, to not tell them something. And to avoid, and that's where Stonewall comes in, right? Like right. I have this impulse not to tell you something, so I'm just going to withdraw from you. Yeah, because I know you. you're going to get mad about it. So, right. you know, why hassle with that? I'm just helping you by not being mad and not telling you about it. <laughs> that is what we're calling an action, right? right? That's not that people can't have privacy in a relationship. It's not that, but more of I'm having an impulse to pull something back. And rather than do that, I am going to tell you, I really don't want to tell you this, and but this happened or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, I've overcommitted again, I'm going to miss this thing or something, whatever it is, right? Let me put it in other words, we're trying to move towards social engagement, wherever you are, if you're too high, on the red zone, on the ceiling, we're trying to move you back into social contact and be accessible. And then if you're too low on the blue zone, avoiding stonewalling, right, kind of more of the like, you're in the floor, you're either on the ceiling or in the floor. And we're trying to get you right up here in the middle. And So either way, putting thoughts and feelings into words, not action, means that I'm not going to just withdraw. Mm -hmm. That's an action. Instead, I'm going to tell you, look, I really just need a few minutes, and then I'm going to come back and talk to you. That's an example. Or if I'm super upset. Some people might confuse that, though, right? Because if you're saying, I'm super upset, and I'm going to put my thoughts and feelings. And in action, I'm going to tell you everything. (laughs) Into words and not actions. I'm going to go use my words and tell you. So how do we know? Those are words. So exactly. That's a great point. And this is, a, it's always a point of conversation that the different, and this is, this is the therapy. This is the emotional work that anybody can be doing wherever you are, which is really learning to discern the difference between the putting it into words and action. It's really a healthy, healthy thing to do. And you're going to need the first couple of steps to be able to do that is to be really emotionally honest with yourself you know, am I acting on this or am I looking for engagement? Like sometimes, you know, you ask a question, it's not really a question, it's a statement. Like, right. like where have you been? <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Versus the emotional statement behind the question really is, I've been nervous, I, I haven't known where you are and it's made me a little anxious. 
That's right. a great example. So, it, so if we stop and going through the steps, if I feel compelled to come and tell you that I'm angry because I can't, I'm reacting. I feel compelled. I feel so elevated. I have to go to you and tell you how angry I am. I'm reacting. I'm not responding. And I'm actually in an action. Action. So even though I'm using words, the feeling inside my body, and because I'm working on emotional regulation, I'm recognizing it as anger. My feeling is feeling more attacking and not social engagement. I'm not able, and you can tell that you're not looking at your per, the person's eyes. You're not actually really engaged with them. You're actually discharging. And so that's a super great example that that's where you want to do the opposite. You want to pull back. You want to instead hold back instead of go to your instinct. Yeah. Like some people think, you know, when you're angry and you punch a wall, <laughs> you know, that you're feeling a lot, you're actually not feeling that much. You're going to feel a lot when you get into really telling somebody about how they've hurt you then your heart's going to really be pounding. And that's way more powerful than the action. So let's move right down because we're almost there to step five. Absolutely. And and step five, which is so important to remember, is to remember positive engagement, the use of positive emotions. That's right. Because some people get really freaked out about being able to have pride or being able to celebrate or to be in reverie. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we do a lot more avoidance of positive emotions than anybody actually recognizes. So go, what are the things that actually induces, enhances our emotions? And that actually to go to our example with the fighting and with the anger, if you withdraw and you calm, sometimes you might even use positive emotions there. Instead, before you go to talk to that person you're angry at, use a positive feeling about them. Kind of think about, wait, what's something positive has happened with them in the last three weeks, a month, or if it's been a long time? You know, and then allow yourself to engage with that positive feeling prior, it's going to bring you back to social engagement. That's right. So, you know, you've heard this before, connect before you correct. And, you know, there's other ways to say it, but the, but the notion being that we get heart centered first mm-hmm. and the positive engagement is for sure. Like, you know, there's a, there's a technique. We started the podcast talking about the relational dread of we have to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this notion, what we want to do is not hit the back of the person's brain because that will just make them defensive. And then right. we're not going to get what we want. So it's not just to be nice or because your partner is emotionally developmentally disabled. (laughs) Although you might feel at the moment. (laughs) Right. Instead, it's actually more that we want to amplify the positive and really recognize and feel our love and our connection and then add whatever the problem is. And the reason for that isn't just to be, again, it's not because they're weak. It's because you really, it's the most effective form of communication. And so, and so one of it is we're using positive in the sense of in that moment, try to, when you're feeling dysregulated, to try to use positive to kind of bring you back into the center. And then there's the and over humor, yeah. and humor. Oh, that's great. Yeah. The humor. I know. I remember in, in couples therapy training, I did years and years and years ago, they advised you to encourage a couple who's totally dysregulated to get up and go stand in the bathtub to have the discussion <laughs> and just the very act that they're having to do it something changes their state slightly ridiculous together they're already laughing about doing it so it's, it's really kind of a wonderful use but it's also amplifying positive just in general to remember we need to engage because we tend to scan for negative and risk and threat so we want to remember that we need to scan for what are the positive engagements that bring us positive emotions and really amplify that, whether it's exercise, sleep, engaging in positive things, that needs to be a daily diet. And we've really missed out on that a lot. Yeah, that's really true because we always see the one B out of all the A's, you know, Absolutely. <laughs> our brains are just... Or we think our happiness is going to get that to-do list done and we focus on that with, with the people in our lives rather than the positive amplifying. So can't stress that enough. 
So I know for those listeners that have been around for a while, you're going to hear this is a relatively repeated theme, but it's because it's a really, really, really big deal. And learning these skills is going to help you all across the board. So thank you very much for listening. We've got a lot more coming at you. And we really encourage you to please share this with someone that you think could benefit. And we'll see you around the bend. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.